0: on Local Now, Channel 525.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to this special edition of Lifeline, a tribute to Dr. Charles Stanley. From the archive of broadcast messages, Dr. Stanley preaches on seeking the Lord as his message continues. He
2: says we're to seek Him, and that is we are to come to Him because we know we need Him and we desire Him and love Him. Now, there's a so many, there's a lot of other things like I can say, but I want to bring this down to um, when should the unbeliever seek the Lord? I, I could spend time telling you what God promises to do when we seek Him, and there's a list of things. He, for example, he says he'll reward us, bless us, be good to us, do good things for us, and uh, we won't miss out on any good. In other words, His promises are multiple. But what about what, what about the unbeliever? When should the unbeliever seek God? So I want to give you a couple of verses. And I go back to Isaiah 55 for a moment. When should the unbeliever seek God? And here's what he says. Read it to you already. There's a key word here. Look at this. The Bible says, watch this. Verse 6, you listen and say Amen. As a little light. Amen? Amen. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Secondly, call upon him while he is near. While he may be found. If you sin and sin and sin and sin, and you become hardened to the things of God, what happens is you don't care. It isn't that God ceases to care. You don't care. This is why it is so absolutely dangerous to listen to the gospel. He said, seek him while he may be found. When you listen and you sense something in your heart, it may be conviction, it may be questions, doubts, whatever it is. But listen, while he may be found, oftentimes God is knocking on your heart's door and you don't even realize it. You think it's something somebody else is doing. Seek him while he may be found. Listen, he says, call upon him while he is near. That is the sense of the nearness of God. You can't put your fingers on it, you can't explain it. You just know that God's there. And you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit making you aware. That you are sitting or standing or lying in the presence of Almighty God and He is ready to do something in your life. And if you're willing to ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you based on what He did at Calvary, He's willing to radically change your life in that given moment. You will have responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and in doing so, He forgives you, cleanses you, writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your life is changed forever. He says, He says, seek Him Listen, seek Him while he's, while he's near, while He can be found. Or if you let your heart get hard, and you, listen, you walk out of church, and you say, well, I got some friends I'm meeting with, and you go out tonight, and you drink, and you carouse around, and you know what happens? You just got a little bit harder. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to hear the gospel and to reject it. The hardness of your heart. You become callous. You've, I've heard that for years and years and years and it hadn't made any difference in my life it could be one of the worst things you could ever say he says we are to seek him and we're to seek him with all of our heart and there's no point in that, no time in our life when, when we shouldn't be seeking him and when he says when he's near you say well why, what do you mean near I mean and if you're, a, if you're a believer you understand what I'm saying I'll give you an example in my own heart there are times, for example, and this is not the only time, especially when I'm studying and I'm sitting there reading the Word, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get something for me. I'm just sitting there reading the Word of God. And sometimes I'm just working on a message. All of a sudden, I break out crying. It used to confuse me. And then I began to realize, God, you're just giving me the awareness of your awesome presence. I have no explanation. I don't have to explain anything. I just know He's there. And sometimes I just get on my knees and weep, and weep and weep and weep and weep. And you know what? When I get up, if you ask me, well, what happened? I guess God was just loving me. That's all I can tell you. Watch this. It has nothing to do with being a pastor. Nothing, 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 nothing. It has to do with if you and I are available for the Lord to show up sometime and just love on us and remind us how good He is and and realize why we should be seeking Him because He's seeking us. He's seeking to sit on the throne of your heart. He's seeking to be number one in your life. He's seeking you to listen to Him so He can position you, so He can bless you with His best. It's God work. It would be a shame For you to walk out of here today, it would be a shame for you to listen to this message and just lay it aside. It'd be worse than a shame. Because remember this you and I are responsible for all the truth that we hear, and all you've done to hear the truth. And all I've really said to you is listen, seek the Lord, talk to Him, listen to Him, build a relationship, watch how He works, observe His work in a way that you can profit from it, that you can be drawn closer to him, more intimately with him, so he can use you to the maximum of your your potential. You don't want to waste your life, you don't get but one trip. And that's my prayer for you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's what you can do. Realizing that you've sinned against God and that your sins, the Bible says, and God says, have separated, there was between you and God it's that sin. And that sin blocks out His blessing. It hinders what He wants to do in your life. He will radically change your life for good. Listen, you will be eternally grateful that He put up with you and was patient with you until the moment you trusted Him as your Savior. If you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, not based on how good you've been, you don't have any goodness. But based on the fact that He went to the cross, laid down his life, paid the price. You say, what's this price? God is a just God. Watch this carefully. God is a just God, which means he only does what's right. Here's what he said. In the day that you eat of the tree of this garden, uh, in this garden, you're going to suffer. What he was saying is simply this. When he said, the soul that sinned it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Well, how can God forgive you when He says the soul that sinned that shall die spiritually eternally? Here's how He did it: When God the Father, who gave the law, sent His Son to die on the cross, He was His perfect Son, the perfect sacrifice. He killed His Son on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for your sins, the only sacrifice that could possibly have been acceptable because He was perfect, and it's His death. And God's acceptance of His death is payment for the sin of the world so that any person who comes to Him based on the fact they're accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, you're forgiven of your sins. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're forever a child of God. That's what can happen to you right now if you let Him do it. Surrendering your life to Him and from this moment on make Him the priority of your life. Everything changes. And, Father, how grateful we are. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt. We just know that everything you've said is absolutely the truth. And that anyone who is willing to ask you to forgive them of sin and surrender their life to your Lordship, to your way and to your will, everything changes for all eternity. And we are grateful beyond our ability express thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: And now, back to Lifeline
2: with Craig Roberts. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. The German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. I repeat, the German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. There was no
1: Allied confirmation. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. Bob Trout and Edward R. Morrow, respectively, there of CBS News, from a broadcast dating back 67 years And turn our memories back toward that important battle that was really the beginning of the end, certainly of World War II in Europe. Um, And it's amazing because if we think about the ensuing years that have passed, imagine for a moment the fact that most of the boys, and many of them were just that, 17, 18-year-old boys that landed on beaches with names like Utah and Normandy uh, on that date, back in 1944, that many of them today would be in their late 80s. This, as um, Tom Brokaw called it, indeed, America's greatest generation who saw some of the most difficult times, built some of the greatest character, to be sure, of any generation. And as we are losing contact with these brave men and women day by day as the clock Down, I think it's important to be reminded of the tremendous sacrifices that they made for all of us. Much of that takes place inside the pages of a book by my next guest. The book is called Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. And joining me tonight on the program is a young lady who certainly is a familiar voice to many of us. Uh, She is an award-winning journalist, three times over, in fact, receiving Emmy Awards. She has been a correspondent on um, such highly rated news programs as Fox News, MSNBC, and uh, currently with CBS, and um, is the author of this new book. And Rita Cosby, thanks so much for taking time to be with us tonight.
0: Thank you. You. I'm thrilled to be with you, and, and Craig, I have a newsflash for you. Um, I just found out I made the New York Times bestseller list a few minutes ago. Well, congratulations! So you are the first one to know, aside from my father. You know,
1: <laughs> being a, being a journalist from way back, I always love a scoop, and so I'm I'm pleased to be able to scoop. Let me, re, let me reiterate the introduction. And New York Times best-selling author Rita Cosby. <laughs> oh,
0: I'm so thrilled! And I'll just say I literally just hung up the phone with my dad, Craig. Who is alive, as you talk about a lot of these guys in their 80s, my dad is 85, he was so choked up and so happy because you think about here is a guy who could not speak almost a word of English when he was saved by U.S. troops and said, I want to come to America because America is the greatest country in the world and came from, you know, Poland, was a teenager thrust to war, comes to America. And for it to be on the bestseller list, my father is so touched and so humbled and so happy that people are learning about this part of history and and also learning about the comrades, many of whom did not make it back.
1: You know, it's an amazing story because as much as we think about you know television channels like the military channel that are dedicated to the events of World War II and the books that are out there um, and, and so much material, and yet there are so many stories that have never been told, and it's interesting because this, this generation uniquely kind of, kind of had that we went, we did a job, we came back, and now we're moving on with life. Even in your own experience, in the case of bringing your dad's story to print, uh, was one that you literally accidentally ran into.
0: Absolutely. And my father, as you talked about, never talked about this. And to this day, you could even tell when I just broke the the news that we made the New York Times bestseller list, he was so humbled and so happy that this story and that the comrades are getting the recognition. It's always about someone else. It's never his story. It's always, I'm happy that the Polish people and I'm happy that the American troops are getting the recognition. And, And that is endemic of that whole group, that whole generation. There's just this incredible dignity. And in my father's case, you know, this story, you know, I hope that people get it. First of all, for for Father's Day, it is the perfect gift. And the information's on QuietHero.org. QuietHero.org, it's called Quiet Hero Secrets from My Father's Past. Because part of the proceeds, by the way, go to wounded troops and their families. So it goes to a great cause. But my father, you know, this is very much a bit of a love story, too, because my dad and I really did not know each other until a few years ago. And um, when I grew up, I knew my father was... Went through war. I did not know what he went through. I remember seeing scars all over his body, Craig, when he was, you know, when he came back from a run. And I was eight years old, and I remember this moment vividly. We were camping. He came back jogging, took his shirt off. He was drenched in sweat. And I remember all of a sudden he took his shirt off, and I saw these scars all over his arms and a hole in one of his arms. And I remember thinking, that doesn't look normal. And asking my mother, what happened to dad? Did he get in a fight or something, you know, like a, a curious child? And my My mother said to me, I'll never forget this, she said, Rita, your father went through tough times growing up. We don't talk about it, Mm. and the door was closed. And then my father left the family one Christmas very abruptly. You know, I heard my parents arguing in the other room, and my dad said, "I'm leaving." And I thought he was leaving work, and it turned out he was leaving us. And so I really did not have a father present in my life for decades. And I, you know, grew you know grew up on television. You know, and my mother was really my mother and my father. And here I was, you know, at the pinnacle of my career, you know, doing all this great stuff on television and yet, you know, did not have a father present in my life and always wondered what happened to my dad and why he was so detached. And then suddenly my mother passed away and in my mother's belongings, my brother and I found this old suitcase And inside was essentially my father's life. It was a rusty POW tag. And then I emblazoned with the word Stalag 4B on it and a prisoner number. And then I found a red and white fighting Polish armband with blood and dirt all over it. And then I found a card that had code names. This person had this sort of secret life. And then I found a card of an ex-POW named Richard Kosobutski. And when I saw this, Craig, I just wept. I... And it was this moment in my life, and it wasn't that long ago. This was, you know, just about two years ago. And I sat there in the storage locker, and I said to myself, you know what, I have not had a father present. My father certainly made a lot of mistakes. You know, he left us, you know, high and dry. And my mother was devastated. We were devastated. And never understood what happened to my father emotionally, too. Or I could forgive this man, because clearly whatever pain I went through, could not compare to what he went through as a prisoner of
1: war. You know, and that's the amazing part of this story because for many that are familiar around the periphery of the history of World War II, and sadly, even those numbers are are, are dwindling. Um, you know, we, we think of some of the early events that took place in Europe, the Anschluss, the annexation of of uh, Austria, literally swallowing up with Czechoslovakia, but the linchpin, the implosion point was in fact the German invasion of Poland in September of 39 and, and, and what's
0: interesting p- Craig my father was outside saw the invasion literally saw the invasion at the beginning of World War 2
1: and, and and it's interesting because we, we look at the fall of Poland that took place so rapidly, and of course, you know, we, we won't spend time tonight um, in our brief moments together, Rita, pointing fingers at how the the French made promises that they did not keep, the British made promises that and they the did Russians not keep, totally the Russian and the Russians ended up becoming complicit with the Germans and swallowing up Poland. But the battle particularly for Poland and for Warsaw, and this, you know, we, we're left with the impression that the country surrendered inside of a week, but that really isn't true, particularly for that battle that took place in Warsaw and your dad at the time, I understand from your book, Rita Quiet Hero, was a teenage resistance fighter there in Warsaw
0: Oh, and right in the throes of it and and you obviously have a great sense of history, Craig, you know, and I it's amazing when you hear these stories and as you pointed out early on, this is a story that is rarely told so often we hear about the American G.I.s and all of their incredible heroics you know, which deserve to be told and this is a story of very unusual story, even for folks who know World War II quite well, you rarely hear such a deeply personal story of being in the inside of the Polish resistance, and in my father's case, he was 13 when World War. he saw the planes hovering above, and his father thought it was an air show, and my dad said, no, I don't think that's an air show, and the next thing they know, the, plane, the bombs are dropping, and my father at a very young age decided to become a resistance fighter, and became a very, apparently, you know, apparently a, a quite courageous one from the records and from other comrades who did survive. And my father was in some of the most brutal fights. I mean, you can imagine. And the stories of the resistance are incredible. Of incredible heroics, and I think just utter patriotism. And and, and it's so inspiring to know that, you know, here my dad, you know, here he is a teenager, and they had Molotov cocktails and sticks. At one point in their unit of 150 men, they had two guns. And yet they are charging the most vicious war machine in the world. And my father was fighting the Nazis for five and a half years. Think about it. Five and a half years with Molotov cocktails and sticks, basically. He was fighting a hundred yards from his house. And I think that's why there were such ferocious fighters and such incredible fighters. With anything they had, they were going to fight because they were fighting for survival of their country, survival of their family. And then ultimately, my father was captured. He was taken to a POW camp and didn't know if he was going to live another day and luckily escaped. And, you know, my favorite part of my dad's story, Craig, and I think... This is, this is a great reminder of who we are as Americans, because my father counts his blessings every day that he lives in the greatest country in the world. He escaped at 90 pounds and six feet tall. Can you imagine? And he's one of the more healthy guys. And he's in the woods. He's with fellow comrades who escaped with him. And there he is in the woods, and he looks up, and he sees a plane. And they think, okay, it's a German plane, and they die for the ditches. And then the plane comes by again, and they think, you know, they're in Germany. They're in you know, middle of Nazi-controlled Germany. It's wartime. You know, they, you, you're, it's crazy in the camp. It's dangerous as heck in the camp, but you can imagine how scary it is outside of the camp, too. You know, I mean, what do you do? You're in Nazi-controlled territory. And suddenly they look up, and something was thrown out of the plane, and they just assumed it was a grenade, and they die for the ditches. And then they look up, and they see a star. And they realized that it's an American plane. And what was dropped out was a chocolate bar with a note wrapped around it, tied with a red ribbon. And the note said, Welcome, it's safe to walk now during daytime. There are no troops between you and our American lines. Mm. You have 15 miles to walk and you're free.
1: Let's pause at that point. We'll pick up the story around the corner. If you've just tuned in our conversation tonight, saying this phrase for the first time on radio, New York Times bestselling author, Rita Cosby, a look at Quiet Hero. More information, by the way, on the book, and you can order it too online at quiethero.org. We'll come back to more of Rita's story and the story of her father as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: When I entered, men crowded around Tried to lift me to their shoulders They were too weak Many of them could not get out of bed As I walked down to the end of the barracks There was applause from the men Too weak to get out of bed It sounded like the hand clapping of babies As we walked out into the courtyard A man fell dead Two others They must have been over 60 Were crawling towards the latrine I saw it will
1: not describe it. Welcome back to the program there. Edward R. Morrow from CBS describing his experience with the first American soldiers to walk into the German concentration camp at Buchenwald as it was liberated from the hands of the Nazis at the close of World War II. Welcome back to the program. With me tonight, New York Times bestselling author Rita Cosby, the book Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. Let me pause for a moment at this point. Rita, because I have to wonder, you know, we, we think about this generation that that said so little of their escapades of the horror that they saw and experienced during World War II, unlike subsequent generations. Back at the time, we referred to it as shell-shocked for those that generally kind of seem to be uh, um, emotionally a bit uh, challenged by all of these experiences. Today, I suppose, uh, better educated, we might refer to it as post-traumatic stress disorder. I would suspect from the moment you opened up that tattered, worn leather suitcase and and realized the significance of the items that you were looking at, it it must have answered a lot of questions for you about your dad and and the challenges that took place in your family.
0: Oh, it it absolutely did, Craig. And and when I I saw this, I knew I had to call my dad. I knew I had to forgive him. And despite, you know, years of anger and confusion, too. You know, much of it was, how could this man walk out and not be emotional? And as you talked about, being very emotionally void. And so it answered so many questions. And I reached out to my dad. I was, I was glad he was alive. I was glad he was ready to share his story. And he said, you know, I, I wasn't ready years ago. I have not talked about this in 65 years. He didn't even tell my mother. And so he said, you know, I think I'm ready to share this story if we can honor the troops who saved me and my comrades who didn't make it back. And I also feel you're an adult now, Rita. You know, I, it was too painful to share as a child, you know, to let you know then. And I think I'm ready. And that's why I tell everybody, too, I hope that this book inspires other people, too, because the most wonderful emails I have gotten, Craig, and I. Ha- and my website is quiethero.org, quiethero.org, and I'd love to hear everybody's story because when I read them, And I read them. I I am so personally moved. My father literally, you know, uh, went through enormous hurdles and me and my father went through enormous hurdles together and I feel like if we can reconcile almost anybody can because it, it almost seemed insurmountable and I've gotten so many beautiful emails from people who have written me and said you know I didn't I wasn't talking to my dad for 20 or 30 years and I wrote him a, uh, you know I wrote him in the book please dad let's talk and sent him a copy of your book and now we're meeting for lunch tomorrow wow and I've gotten you know that that's uh, that is you know the lord working that is you know, that is, that is a higher power by far, and I am so blessed that this book has been able to be a bridge builder for so many people, maybe even who haven't even encountered someone with war.
1: The other thing that comes to mind is you, you talk about the title of this book, We Think Hero. Uh, a word that we easily banty about these days, to which we don't assign an awful lot of of significance, and yet other words too that come to mind that that unfold on inside the pages of your book, Quiet Hero, as as your dad recounts the stories and talks about those that were responsible in, in rescuing him as he made his way, you know, escaped essentially there from um, uh, from that stalag. Um, words like valor and honor and sacrifice. Words that I, I think to certain degrees Rita have largely disappeared from the American lexicon words that most people today just going about day-to-day life and business really don't understand or think about or understand or perhaps comprehend the significance of in relationship to what men like your dad went through not just in in Europe and dealing with the, the torture and horrors of Nazism but then those from other countries like Australia and England and Canada and the United States that went to places like Europe to help liberate those people from the clutches of Nazism. Oh.
0: Absolutely, and, and and when you talk about, you use the word valor, I think of one line that my father said, and, and I think it just epitomizes the integrity of, of not just my father, but, but the men who served with him, and by the way, there were women also fighting in the resistance too, which is which is interesting. It was one of the first times in history that women played a huge role in military operations because everybody was needed. You know, men, women, everybody was fighting. for. They were all fighting for their country. But it, my dad told me this great line and this is at the age of fifteen. Think about you know, it's amazing to think at the age of fifteen now you see kids playing Nintendo or skateboarding Craig or doing whatever they're doing at fifteen. And my dad, at the age of 15, could have been snuck out of the country. His mother said, I might be able to buy you out through the black market. I might be able to find a way to get you to, you know, Switzerland, a neutral country. And my father, who was in the resistance at this time, said to my mother, no, I am staying and fighting for my country. And he gave this great line. He said, I would rather die with friends than live with strangers. Mm. I am staying and fighting for my country. And you think about, you know, saying that at the age of 15, knowing that most likely you were going to die for your country because the odds were certainly against you. In my father's unit, 80% of the men did not survive. Wow. But so you think about he knew he was going into a bloodbath. Well, and, and certainly, I pass.
1: mean, having having lived through initially the, the, the bombing of Poland, of Warsaw, uh, by the time the, Gen- the Germans were done with their job there, um, 85% of all the buildings in that city were completely destroyed.
0: Oh, and, and if you look at the pictures from that, in fact, this is interesting. Where my father was fighting was in the Old Town part of Warsaw, and that's where some of the most ferocious and, and I guess, you know uh, determined resistance fighters were.
1: Now, would that, Rita, technically been considered uh, near or at or in even the, the so-called ghetto?
0: Um, It was right near the ghetto, literally right next to the ghetto. And in fact, my father was just about 100 yards or so from the ghetto wall, his home. I mean, that's how close it was. It was literally in that area, exactly. It was literally in that area. So that's where they were rounding up all the Jews. And by the way, my father was so supportive of those in, inside the ghetto. My father believed it didn't matter if you were Jewish or not Jewish. If you were a good person, my father wanted to help you and was willing to help those inside, even at the you know the price of his own life, if that's what it meant.
1: Well, and it sounds like he got a lot of that, obviously, from his parents, your grandparents, whom I understand you have never met, but weren't they engaged in doing some stuff even kind of discreetly in the black market that were that was being used to assist people in the resistance?
0: Yes, they were actually helping and they were giving food. They were doing tons of things to help those. And also, my father's mother was a really incredible woman. And I think you, you talk about sort of where you learned your morals from. Hitler did not want anyone to practice religion especially if you were inside or outside the ghetto and if you were they, they treated those outside of the ghetto horribly as well obviously those inside the ghetto were just you know decimated and it's and I think it's unconscionable what happened it's incredible and just horrific and my father outside they were also brutalized and if my father at the age of 13 started writing anti anti nazi symbols on the ghetto wall can you imagine this? And even though you think about it, it's kind of child's play, that was a death sentence in Poland. It didn't matter how old you were. If the Nazis had caught anybody writing anti Nazi propaganda on the ghetto walls of all places, you, they, you were going to be killed, and they would go and like clean it off, and then my father would go back two days later and write another, you know, Hitler is a blank or a swastika hanging like from a gallows, and it was a complete insult and he used to just infuriate them. And my and my father's mother, at a, even in the height of it all, where she was not supposed to pray or practice religion, she still had a hidden altar in the basement of her apartment. And they had five bombed out apartments that kept moving, but in each apartment, she kept a hidden altar and everywhere went down and prayed for my father's safety, prayed for the country's safety, prayed for those in the ghetto. And that was the kind of environment that my father grew up in, and I and I do. I think it transcended into who he was as a fighter.
1: There's another side of the story that I want to come to when we come back after a brief time out, Rita, um, that's an amazing one. And that is that after all of these years, 60 something years, your dad being able to travel back and you were there with him i want to have you share what that phenomenal experience was like and if you've tuned in a bit late tonight we are visiting in this segment of the program with best-selling time new york times best-selling author i should say rita cosby the book is called quiet hero secrets from my father's past this is a great gift giving idea whether you know of someone of that generation uh that can be honored through the stories in a book like this, um, a great father's Day gift, as Rita mentioned, this is being used as a wonderful means of tearing down years of silence and and, and non communication between families, um, younger kids that never understood. Why dad always seemed to be kind of detached in a way or 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 cold emotionally this book can not only be an eye opener but a relationship restore even as this experience has been for Rita and for her father the book again quiet hero available on the web at quiethero.org that's quiethero.org we'll come back to more of our conversation new york times best selling author rita cosby as this edition of lifeline continues and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program, and uh, joining us for an extended segment here, uh, Rita Cosby has been gracious enough to remain with us. She, of course, author of the New York Times best-selling book, Quiet Hero: Secrets from My Father's Past. Uh, the book, by the way, available through her website at quiethero.org. That's quiethero.org. You know, there are so many amazing aspects to this story from the discovery of eventually what became opening of the truth of what your dad experienced um, during World War II um, as not only a prisoner of war, but as a resistance fighter. Um, but then, of course, that leading the gateway to really the restoration of your relationship with him after many, many years. You had the opportunity at one point, Rita, to go back, uh, to take your father back to Poland. What was that like?
0: Oh, it it was incredible and you know what, what, what caused it was I gave him back these items that we found in this old tan tattered suitcase that we talked about earlier that my mother had left behind and it turned out it was again his rusty POW tag and his fighting armband the red and white fighting armband that was dirty and still had blood on it so clearly had been worn and I gave him back the suitcase and I surprised him and I said I have something for you and when I gave him back the suitcase My dad just held on to these items, especially that red and white armband. And as it turns out, when he was fighting the Nazis, he was wearing all the, you know, they didn't have, this wasn't an organized army. This was the resistance. This was a bunch of ragtag citizen soldiers, teenagers. And literally, they would have to kill a Nazi to wear some clothes, and they wore, you know, they had, you know, rattered, you know, tattered clothes before that, would grab a Nazi uniform, and the only thing that would separate them from the Nazis was this armband, and it actually gave the resistance a a leg up, because they could get very close sometimes to the Nazis. And then they would turn and point to, hey, I'm a resistance fighter. I'm not one of you. And then they were able to approach him and kill him. And you think about, they that's how close they would often have to get. So you think about how scary that must have been. This was not, you know, long-term fighting with rifles and, and tanks. my They didn't have it, you know. So they had to go up close, and that was their advantage. And when my father saw that red and white fighting armband, Craig, he just cried, and he was holding on to it. And then he looked up and he said, you know, I wonder who survived. I wonder who made it and I said you know what dad the president of Poland I, just, I had just met him literally a few weeks before invited us back and my father said alright let's go back together and the whole, my whole life growing up, Craig, my father, you know, talked about Poland as being hell, that there were terrible things that happened there, and I never knew what. And I never knew what role he played or what or what happened. But I, I never thought he would ever in, in my lifetime ever go back to Poland or his lifetime. And when he said that, I said, let's do it. And literally a few days later, I think it was, we were on a plane to Poland. And my father held my hand when we took off, you know, and, and when we landed, and it was like a child. He was so nervous. And it was, you know, there was so, it was, you know, 65 years of emotions. And he came back and got a hero's welcome from the president of Poland because he was in that diehard fighting plot, you know, place. The guys, my father escaped through the sewers at one point from the Nazis. Can you imagine? Yes. There was no place above ground. And those fighters who escaped through the sewers, my dad was one of the last men out they are really considered some of the real heroes in
1: Poland here's a guy that that spent an entire lifetime Rita um, controlling his emotions denying it yes. stuffing them down uh, suddenly now he finds himself 60 plus years later back to his home country of Poland um, I, I would suspect that that, that Stalag Stalag 4b probably doesn't exist anymore but there are prison camps that have, that have been kept open for tourists to come and see and for people to to Basically, experience that we should never forget. You had an opportunity to tour one of those camps, Auschwitz, in Poland with your father. What was that like for him? Uh, you know, as a journalist, you must have been watching very intently your father's reactions to the experience of going back in and and the memories that must have just been flooding so much emotion to the surface for him.
0: Oh, so many emotions. And and in fact, Stalag 4B, some of it is still there and some of the record books are there. Really? And we found record books of my father there and also another camp that he was at. So I actually sent crew over to Germany where that camp was and uh, in, in Poland where Auschwitz is my father actually had relatives who were taken to Auschwitz because early on most people don't realize Auschwitz originally was for resistance fighters and so my father knew a number of people who were taken to this horrible place called Auschwitz you know in the early days and they didn't know really what was going on you know they didn't see the people or they came back vegetables and would never speak again and so when my father went there Oh, we were speechless. And my father, the minute he walked into some of the barracks that are still standing there, and it is such a somber feeling to go to Auschwitz because it's huge. And the fact that it's still there and still huge, and that that's not all of it, It's overwhelming to the emotions. They're just so angry about man's inhumanity, to man, and and what happened. And my father, we walked through a barrack, and he said, this is exactly like the bed I was in, because the the Germans had everything was very uniform. And what they used in one camp was very similar to what they used in other camps, like my dad's. And it brought back all these emotions. And the other thing my dad also did was we went to a place in Warsaw where my father said he lost all emotion. And my father, in the middle of the fighting, and remember, they barely had any guns. They had two guns in their unit. One of them was my dad's, and he barely had any bullets in it. Everything was scarce. And my father had gotten wind through some other guys that there was a tank that was seized by the resistance, a German tank, which is a a huge coup. You remember, they're outgunned, they're outmanned, and suddenly they get a German tank. And my father's girlfriend was gonna run all over the tank and, you know, parade on the tank and along with a lot of his comrades. And my father said, oh, there's something kind of fishy. This is a little too good to be true. And he gave his girlfriend his Luger and said, just take this, this his gun, just take this, just in case. And he walked away. He was heading back in another direction. Went a few blocks, and suddenly the ground shook, and the tank exploded.
1: Mm, You booby-trapped.
0: It was booby-trapped, and everybody on on the tank was killed. 500 people were killed. It was taken to a busy town square. 800 were injured. There's now a huge marker there in Poland symbolizing what happened. And my father ran back looking for a piece of his friend's. And my father said, this is in the middle of fighting still. And he ran back and he said, when he went there, there was no trace of anything. Of course, nothing of his friends, nothing of his girlfriend, nothing of his Luger. Everything was evaporated. And he was just walking there in rivers of blood. And my father said, at that moment, he said he had to compartmentalize. He had to be able to keep fighting because he wanted to keep fighting for those who had just perished for his country. And he said, I had to block it out. And when we went back to the scene together, my father just broke down in tears, Craig. It was so emotional for me. And he looked up at me and said, I'm so sorry. He said, I did the best I could as a father. I tried, but after this moment, I had no emotion in life. Nothing fazed me. And losing a family, you know, decades later, I couldn't be affected because I lost hundreds of friends in an instant. And, you know, and, of course, I said, I I forgive you, Dad. And and that was a very dramatic moment for me and a very powerful moment. And and after that moment, I have broken through with my dad. My dad is truly a different man today than he was, you know, years ago.
1: Indeed so. And that 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 takes us back full circle to that observation by a fellow um, television journalist, uh, Tom Brokaw. This indeed was uh, our greatest generation. Rita, thanks so much for the book and the time and the insights. And um, for your dad, uh, when you talk to him next, uh, again, thanks to him. Uh, He may not regard himself as a hero, but he's a a hero in the eyes of many of us.
0: Thank you so much. And and I hope everybody gets the book. It's QuietHero.org, QuietHero.org. And it's Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. And and I hope uh, the journey inspires everyone as much as it's inspired my dad and I.
1: Undoubtedly so. Again, New York Times bestseller author rita cosby the book quiet hero more information on the web at QuietHero.org. dot o r g